promise you, you don't have to care about what other people think about you. You don't have to care what other people say about you. I'm not talking to you, my lovely audience. I'm actually talking to certain head coaches out there. We will discuss tonight. We are jam-packed high atop a gloomy, a gray, but somewhat clearing downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's Tuesday, October 17th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Listen to this. That was unimpressive. There's a stack of papers in front of me, though. It's a jam-packed show. We got full week eight predictions, big games, consequential games, not just the marquee, not just Penn State, Ohio State, not just Tennessee, Bama. Do you have any idea how uncomfortable it's about to be? Nay, how toxic it's about to be for the loser of Clemson, Miami. Someone's about to carry their third L of the season. I got a JP poll tonight that will, um, you know, essentially drive the rest of the show into the ground. It will be, speaking of the T word, very toxic. We've got a new number one. Arizona's in the top 25. And we've got some teams that have beaten other teams that are still below the teams they've beaten. And what more can you do? What more can you say? I got to say some things about Dabo Swinney tonight. I got to say some things about Shane Beamer tonight. I've got added best bets tonight, and we're all going to get it in in a reasonable amount of time. They're watching us in Tallahassee, Florida, Seaside, California, Abilene, Texas, Canton, Ohio. Are they watching us in Manhattan? Are they watching us in NYC? Don't know, but we will be there tomorrow morning. I'm doing Inside College Football tomorrow night. Uh, Don't worry because we will be back here in Nashville in time for the Thursday show. But if you are so inclined, CBS Sports Network tomorrow night, if you're catching that Sam Houston State FIU game, which if you're following the Ramen Noodle Express, you should be. I'm told I'll be on the desk at halftime. Some halftime breakdown there. I'll try to maintain professionalism there. So at Late Kick Josh, if you want some behind-the-scenes coverage on Instagram. I have no more time to waste. Not that that was wasted time, but man... We got so many paper poppers tonight. Let's dive in. I think the game of the week, the game we're going to be at, Penn State at Ohio State, Saturday, high noon, big noon kickoff there on Fox. Once upon a Saturday tour, in the horseshoe, we are making our long-anticipated return. Last time we were up there, it was the Michigan game. It did not go well for the home team. Let's see if it turns out any different. What if I told you this is a playoff game? Hmm? What if I told you, not necessarily losers Hopes and dreams are dashed, but they take a huge blow here because the more it's setting up, the more it looks like it's going to be really tough for the Big Ten East to get two teams in the playoff. Some of us predicted that would happen in the preseason. Now it's looking a little tougher than it did at the outset. So I don't even want to walk you down the whole tiebreaker doomsday scenario. There is a scenario where Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State all beat each other round robin style. They're all 11-1. and Uh, I had producer Jesse walk me through the tiebreaker today. He got down to bullet points five or six. And I, at that point, I was already in my bottle of Tylenol. And I said, stop. stop. We'll just cross that bridge when we get to it. I had someone tell me earlier today, as they knew I was going to break this game down, both head coaches are mm, pretty much sitting in the same boat. Both head coaches have about the same thing to prove. You're crazy, I told him. And if anyone thinks that, you may not be a crazy person, but that is a crazy thought. Ryan Day is 35-0 and in Big Ten games not facing Michigan. James Franklin's 4-14 and versus Ohio State and Michigan. These are not the same coaching profiles. Now, I got immense respect for both guys, but make no mistake about it, there's, there's a ton of pressure in all of these games. There's a lot more to prove on the side of James Franklin, I think, even than there is of Ryan Day. Now, you could come back at me and say, well, James Franklin has built his program up from scratch, whereas Ryan Day inherited what he's got in many cases from Urban Meyer. Okay, got no problem with that. I'm just, I'm just saying 
We've seen coaches inherit programs before, and then they went downhill because they weren't the real deal. Ryan Day is the real deal. Uh, 35-0 and 0 in games not featuring Michigan. And they're not interested in hearing that stat up there because they say, uh, you can't be discounting Michigan. That's the game we care about the most in the country every year. So ironically, as we look at these defenses and we look at these ground games, ironically, I think this game's about passing the football. I think it's about throwing the football through the air. Penn State's offense is 80th in pass yards per game. Not the end-all, be-all metric. Some of you don't care at all about yards per game. I kind of don't. I was just using that as an example to show you they haven't thrown the ball all over the yard. They're 129th in explosive play rate this year. The follow-up, you don't need to yell at me from Harrisburg. I know what you're saying. The follow-up is, well, we haven't had to. And that's true. Here's what I'm asking you. If you, if you're saying that to me right now, if you're saying, well, we, Penn State, have not had to throw the ball, my follow-up is, are you suggesting you do possess that ability? Are you suggesting you've done the whole spring game approach of, well, let's just keep the offense vanilla? If you are, we'll find out Saturday, won't we? Because if you're holding anything back, certainly this is where you debut it, right? And I think to some small degree, there may be some of that. But by and large, that's just not how they win football games. And it's served them well so far. Can you run the ball to win on Ohio State? You know, there's some people, me kind of included, that feel like maybe there's a different gear to the Penn State ground game we haven't seen yet. Can you run it to win? Not just get in the red zone. Not just get in plus territory. Can you run it to win here? Ohio State's ground game. And, and this kind of bleeds back into why I think throwing the football is the key here. Ohio State's ground game is not going to magically find itself against Penn State. They've been decent this year, and that's about it. They have not been dominant running the ball. They're 94th in rush yards per game. There are injury concerns here. 3.7 yards per carry right now against Power 5 competition. That's not good enough to take over a game on the ground, and I don't think necessarily we're all of a sudden going to see it show up and see them figure things out Saturday. Against Notre Dame and Maryland and Purdue, though, a little ray of sunshine here, for Penn State, maybe. Ohio State did give up 176, 106, and 123. Some of those games were, were already out of hand, and so you make of that what you will. I got several just thoughts here. Sometimes I'll do two or three keys. This game's so big, I had like 19 thoughts on this, and I tried to condense it as much as I could, but I am telling you, I think it's about throwing the football to win this game. No one's going to do it to the tune of 375 yards and four touchdowns, mind you, but explosive plays or... Conversely, scrambling out of that pocket and just throw into a tight end seven and a half yards down the field to move the sticks and set yourself up for a fresh set of downs. Those sorts of things are going to matter a lot here. The pressure profiles in this game favor Penn State. What I mean by that is the ability you have shown to get after the quarterback so far this year, the ability or inability your offensive line has shown to protect the quarterback. Both of those profiles favor Penn State. Here's where you see my hand shaking a little bit. Here's where I'm a little bit hesitant. I believe in all that. I believe it's true. Penn State's been absolutely that team. Ohio State has, has been questionable at times. In fact, the offensive line has been very questionable. But here's what I wonder on the other side of that. I remember this game last year. I remember who took it over. It wasn't an offensive player. It was JTT. And he took it over in a big way. And Ohio State ends up winning a game that it looks like they're done for in. Penn State had all the momentum. It feels good. And one defensive player for Ohio State takes the game over. Okay, so this is a classic case, maybe, of what has been so far this year, which is what we have on paper right now. This is what has been. Is that what will be Saturday? Or could you see them look at Olufoshano at left tackle and say, well, we're not going after him, but Penn State on the right side of their offensive line looks a little more susceptible. Let's put Tui Maloa over there, and let's just see what happens. And maybe he breaks a game open. 
Maybe he ends up with a scoop and score. Maybe he forces a couple of turnovers. And so it doesn't matter. My point is it doesn't matter what your pressure profiles have said. If you just have a matchup that favors you, you got a matchup that favors you. And that's the kind of player that can wreck a game. Is he giving you the consistent bookend to bookend performance this year you hoped for? Maybe, maybe not, but he can take over a game like this. Another thought I had was there are going to be times in this game where Kyle McCord, that Ohio State quarterback, has just got to look down the barrel and not blink. He's going to get lit up. It will happen. It absolutely will happen. Just got to make plays. Not, not two dozen of them, but you got to make some plays here. They're not all drop back, clean pocket, take two looks and throw that ball 50 yards down the field. It's not always going to look like that. In fact, very often it won't look like that, but uh, he's going to have to do it enough. He's got the guys to throw it to. I don't know if he's got the offensive line to give him a ton of time. He'll have guys in his face. Can you imagine Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator for Penn State, having all this time? They had a bye week, then they had UMass last week. And so they've been dialing things up for Ohio State for the better part of half a month now. Plus, let's be real, when we were up there, they were working on it in the spring. So it's, it's been on the radar for a long time. I'm almost certain defenses will decide the game. I don't think that's any bit of breaking news. I think most people who have watched these teams play understand that's, that's how Ohio State played against Notre Dame, and that's probably how both of these teams will play in this game. Penn State was minus four turnovers last year in this game. So who forces them this year? There's no system out there that's going to quantify that. I got a model right here. It's as good as useless. When I ask it, who's going to win the turnover battle? That stuff's so randomized week on week. Also, starting field position. Penn State's been really, really good near the top of the country. Ohio State hasn't been quite as good. Does that play out this Saturday? A lot of randomization over a four-quarter game. I don't know how you watch football most of the time. I, I think most people follow the ball. I think most coaches try and use their peripheral, or they try and zoom out, or maybe they'll just watch the secondary, or some of you just focus on the line of scrimmage. There are different ways to watch a game. A lot of times, if you coached or played, the position you played uh, greatly determines how you watch a game. I'd encourage you to do something Saturday. If you're one who typically follows the ball, just, just watch Kalen King. When Penn State's on defense, watch Kalen King, watch Johnny Dixon. Those are their two corners. And just let your eyes focus on them against this wide receiver stable for Ohio State. They're going to be scouts from almost every NFL team there. And those dudes will be watching that. That's what a lot of them are going to be there for. Because you got multiple guys, both sides of the ball, that are going to be high-round draft picks. And they're, they're not rookies. These are not true freshmen. We're not talking about three or four years down the line. They are very, very well-developed. And uh, it will be worth the price of admission, which I'm told is very, very high. But worth the price of admission or worth your time if you're at home to watch that. This is Drew Aller's third road start. Heard Ryan Day earlier today imploring the fans there in the horseshoe to make it a hostile environment. Hey, I was in Seattle last week, so that's a hostile environment. This time last year, I was in Neyland Stadium watching Tennessee take down Bama. That was a hostile environment. There's no reason why the Buckeyes should not have that kind of edge at home against Penn State, because I guarantee you Penn State gave the home team that edge last year. It's just Ohio State's defense overcame it. What if Penn State's offense does have another gear? Just a random thought here. What if there is a different gear? What if all of a sudden the numbers on this sheet of paper in front of me, they've reached by the end of three quarters? You know, Penn State, I saw our buddies, college football nerds, they made an interesting point. And they were talking about yards per play. A lot of the critical metrics you look at to determine how good an offense is Penn State is not through the roof in those metrics, and they're still beating teams handedly. 
And so sometimes that means you've played inferior competition, but other times that means you got a different gear you could kick it in. Or put another way, if you're already this good when you're putting up, you know, by any discernible scale, average to above average yards per play metrics, what happens when you, what happens when everything's in gear one Saturday afternoon? You pull away and you blow someone out. You do what, you do what on the scoreboard Mario and Oregon did to Ohio State a couple of years ago when they came in there. That's that game. No one talks about that anymore, but that was like a jaw-dropping result where a road team out of nowhere comes in as an underdog and wins going away and ran the ball to do it in the process. So it's not my prediction. I'm just saying if that is there with Penn State, we'll know Saturday because this is the game it'll show up in. Also, Marvin Harrison's size, I think would greatly concern me. It concerned me last year. He went for 10 and 185 against Penn State. That against those corners, like if we're talking about maybe a specific matchup advantage, Marvin Harrison's got about, what, four or five inches on the corner that he'll probably match up against with Penn State. Now, sometimes that matters. Sometimes it doesn't. You get down near the red zone. You get those 50-50 balls. You get you know back shoulder stuff. A lot of times that's where that comes into play a lot more than your typical slant route over the middle. Uh, I think Obviously, Ohio State and Penn State both aware of that. But Kyle McCord versus Manny Diaz is another thing that just I can't get out of my head. I'm thinking about Ohio State on third down, five plus, obvious passing downs. I'm thinking about what Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator of Penn State, uh, can potentially bait him into. Because you got a couple of young quarterbacks here in terms of starting experience. And that's why I keep going back to turnovers, um, special teams play, but really turnovers, defensive scoring. That kind of stuff deciding this game is why it's so hard to pick. So hard to pick because not, nobody predicts that stuff. It's hard enough to predict games as it is. You don't have a model that predicts that. You, just like you don't have a model that said JTT was going to do what he did in this game last year. But having said that, Colin, let's take a look at what the model does think. The Vegas number right now is Ohio State minus four and a half. We've got Ohio State minus six and a half in the model. So... I went back and forth like four times today. Producer Jesse, and this will shock you, has a pretty strong feel on this game. Producer Jesse walked in with, uh, what, four pages of notes, five pages of notes? The over hit in terms of pages of notes for Jesse. And he's on the Nittany Lions. There was a time about 3.45 or 4 o'clock today, I was Penn State. And then again, in the 5 o'clock hour, I went Penn State. But I ended up landing on Ohio State. Pretty simple feeling here. Went to the model, because I don't have a strong feel. I'm just happy to be there. Uh, I went to the model, and if we've got a team power rated ahead of another team and they have home field advantage, I'll go with them. That's really the long and short of it. There are many, many paths I see for Penn State winning this game. There are many, maybe a couple more for Ohio State winning this game. I'll take Ohio State to win it. Um, I guess I'll take them to cover. I don't have any feel. No dimes will be bet out of my pocket on this game. Really looking forward to this. This is what we've been waiting for. This right here in the Big Ten is what we've been waiting for. The, 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 shirt, the shirt that we have for this game is already sold a great deal. I think it will continue to sell a great deal. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour heading to Columbus, Ohio at Ohio Stadium this Saturday. This is available right now. PateStateMaterial.com. It's gone Saturday night. We're done. It'll never be sold again. So I don't know that we'll be back at Ohio State this year. Maybe one stop only for us up there this year. In fact, I'm fairly certain it will be. So if you want to commemorate it, there it is. PateStateMaterial.com. It's right there on the front page right now. Uh, those always go really fast because we only sell them for one week at a time. 
Let's move on. We've got other big games to talk about. Oh, computer froze over here. Hold on just a second. All right, we're back. Uh, if you could do me the slightest favor, click the thumbs up button. Click the like button there if you're watching live. Had a major slip up in the show the other night. It's my fault. I take full responsibility. I know I don't typically like to take any of the blame. And I'm not going to repeat what I said. If you missed it, you missed it. But the chalice of choice liquid over here was corrupted because I actually slipped up and said the name of the product that's in this glass and not happy about it. But we're live, so we can't go back and edit it out. I'm going to take a sip from this chalice. And if you know, at this point, I guess you know. But I would encourage you to forget what you know. Theater of the mind is a lot better for us. Tennessee at Alabama, Saturday, 3.30 Eastern, CBS Game of the Week, third Saturday in October. You remember this time last year when I was trying to teach the younger children amongst us what the third Saturday in October once meant? And we had varying degrees of buy-in on that. Some people just said, no, nah, Tennessee will suck forever. I don't believe it. Uh, well, then we went over to Knoxville, and Director Colin was there. I was there. Uh, about 70-some-odd thousand people ended up being right around us on the field. And before the sun came up, I had participated in taking one of the goalposts out and tossing it into the river. And whomst amongst us thought that I would ever be a part of that. Look at the goalpost just sinking down into a sea of orange. All that's missing is the Titanic music. And we couldn't get in touch with Celine Dion in time today for licensing. But man, you tell me you're going to see this on Sunday. You tell me you're going to see some random dude smoking a cigar, surfing a goalpost out of a tunnel in Neyland Stadium. My guess is no, you won't find that on Sunday, but we sure did last year. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed revisiting last year. This year will be nothing like last year. I don't think we can invert the profile of this game this year to last year anymore if we try. 52 to 49 was the final last year. No one's scoring 52 total in this game this year. In fact, the total's down to 48 and a half, started in the low 50s. I'd lean under even now, and uh, that's not a great value bet at this point. Bama, I just don't think will do much in the run game here. Why would I expect that? It's kind of the same thing I said about Ohio State. They're not going to find their legs against Penn State. Well, why should I think Alabama's all of a sudden going to figure out how to run the ball more explosively? against Tennessee. Tennessee's got a really good defensive front, so they kind of are what they are there. Alabama, Kubelik put it very well the other day. They're a run, run to varying degrees of success, sack, run for no gain, 70-yard bomb, pop play over the top. That's their offense now, and it's worked because they've got 38 plays of 20-plus yards, so that's how they're winning right now. It's not ideal, but it's how they're winning. Jalen Milrow, listen to this, by the way. This is crazy. Jalen Milrow on throws of 20 or more yards in the air, is a 61% completion guy. 737 yards, nine touchdowns and no interceptions. All four of his picks have come on balls that go less than 20 yards in the air. I'm not talking about yards after catch now. I'm talking about throwing the football physically 20 yards or more in the air. He's perfect. He's perfect because if, no if, if your guy doesn't catch it, no one's catching it because he can throw the ball out of the stadium if he wants to. I have real concerns, and this is going to shock you. I have real concerns about Alabama's offensive line. Gasp. They're 130th in sacks allowed. We could do this show 20 more years, and my feel on Alabama's offensive line this year will go down as one of the most regrettable feels that I've had 
on any position unit. It is what it is. It is what it is. I, I'm not going to go as far as to take the blame for it. I'm just going to say I got bad intel. So in this case, either a coach, a kid, or an official screws it up. Sounds like a coach screwed it up here. Not my fault. Anyway, in this game, Tennessee's defensive front's been nasty, and it travels. I have no doubt it will travel. They are fourth in sacks per game. They got two dudes. I mean, Pierce and Barron are both top 20 individually in the country in sacks. So Jalen Milrow's going to get hit. Jalen Milrow's probably going to get sacked. Now, that's happened a lot this year, and they figured out how to win games in spite of it. It's just, can you imagine? Can you imagine a lifelong Alabama fan sitting at home in his or her recliner on a Saturday afternoon, and they know the Alabama way? They know protecting the quarterback. They know running the football. And they know slowly just bleeding your opponent to death. And this is what they're watching. Penalties all over the place. Sacks. Constantly behind the chains. Can't run the ball to save your life. Had 23 total yards against AM. Still won the game, though. Finding ways to win the game. I'm very interested on the other side to see Tennessee's ground game here. Because I was ultra impressed last week when they ran it like they did against Texas A&M. Texas A&M, like I just said, held Bama to 23 on the ground. Tennessee had over 200 and 230, I think it was. Very impressive. And they have to do it. They can't throw the football either. Tennessee can't throw the football with any consistency. Uh, if, in case you haven't seen Tennessee this year, I regret to inform you, it's not your Meemaw's Tennessee. They actually play defense this year. They cannot throw the football in some cases to save their life. And yet, because they can run the ball and play defense, They've been winning games, too. They had 232. That was the number on the ground versus A&M. Last year, I was at this game. Uh, Neyland Stadium was about as incredible as any environment we've ever been in. Bryant Denny Stadium going to feel like that Saturday? I've been at this game a number of times at these venues. Those folks get up for this game. You guys saw what a hostile road environment did to your team last year. Try and do it to them this year. What a novel concept that would be. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Let's take a look at what Vegas thinks. The number in the desert as of 7.22 p.m. on Tuesday night is Alabama minus 8.5. We agree completely. The Pate State model has Bama minus 8. I think points are going to be at a premium in this game. So I am not laying over a touchdown. But I do think Alabama will win the game. I just think when I say Bama's going to win the game, it'll feel a lot like that A&M game where you find a way in a very, very ugly rock fight, back and forth kind of affair uh, to win by a possession. And so I think Alabama will win. If I had to bet the game on the spread, I would take Tennessee. I am not doing that thing that I just said. I'm not betting on this game. And so, yeah, I, I guess survive in advance is the name of the game here. If Tennessee wins this thing now, if I'm wrong and Tennessee wins it, take a look at their schedule. They'd go to Kentucky next week, and then their next, well, they got at Kentucky and at Missouri as their next two conference games, and then they'd get Georgia in there. Whomst knows? Whomst knows? We'll find out a lot this Saturday. I have in my hand some really good news for you guys. You know, I just noticed, Colin, keep this shot for a second. Two bits of good news. Uh, the first bit of good news is, although we're not going to break the game down tonight for what are probably obvious reasons, it is Iowa-Minnesota week. It's Floyd of Rosedale week. It's a really, really important week. Dare I say a holiday week on this show, because that right there is the greatest trophy in sports. 
not just college football. Stanley Cup takes a backseat to Floyd of Rosedale. The Lombardi Trophy, all due respect, takes a backseat to Floyd of Rosedale. Whatever that thing is we have in lieu of the crystal football now, takes a backseat to Floyd of Rosedale. We salute Floyd. But the other bit of good news is, I got a $10,000 Academy gift card for you. I got tickets to the SEC championship game for you. So listen to me very closely. It's so official, I have it written on a piece of paper. There's a paper pop for you. This is going to sound kind of corporate, but it's because it's prepared for me. Enter for your chance to win a $10,000. There are five zeros on this. $10,000 Academy gift card plus SEC championship game tickets. All you got to do is sign into the Academy app. Academy Sports and Outdoors app. Look for it. Download it for free. Sign in for free. This thing runs from October 8th through November 18th. You got plenty of time. I've always wanted to say the next sentence. No purchase necessary. Kind of like our show. Because Academy is our partner, no purchase necessary. Now, odds depend on entries received. Contest ends 11-18-23. You can find complete rules at academy.com. I think I made that sound pretty authentic. At least we didn't speed my voice up two and a half times. But real talk, I know a lot of you want to go to that game. What are we going to have? LSU, Georgia? We're going to have Bama, Tennessee, part two? How wild would that be? I'm not sure that it's possible. Eh, mathematically, maybe. But in any event, big game. Why don't you enter for a chance to go and get a $10,000 Academy gift card? You know how much big league chew $10,000 buys? <sighs> Jesse, do me a favor. Can you email them? Just ask if I can enter the contest. No purchase necessary. Ask if I can enter the contest. All right, let's move on. Oh, I would just, I would just prefer not talk about this, but we've got to. We don't have to. I, it's, it makes sense because a lot of you were asking about it. And I serve you. I, I live to serve. You know me. I live to serve. Let me take a sip out of the chalice. It's, a, it's about Dabo, and I got some stuff about Shane Beamer tonight, too. So the entire Palmetto State is talking. And I've been listening, had my ears peeled, all right. Um, I've got a quote here. <clears throat> so you know how at the beginning of the year I said it's a really big inflection point kind of season for Clemson and Dabo, and then they lost to Duke. And then I said, this is really where the rubber's going to meet the road because if they lose to Florida State, there are folks who have been in his corner for a long time who are not going to sound like they're in his corner anymore. And they lost to Florida State. They played a really good game. They may have outplayed Florida State, but they lost. And now they're a two-loss team. And I, I, at the time, took a lot of questions about what I thought was wrong with Clemson. I said, well, nothing's like, it, it, it's not catastrophically wrong, but there are things that I think could use tweaking or overhauling. And I said, even though I can't prove that what I'm focused on has lost them games, I do think their portal approach needs work. Like, I think they need to use it. Now, some Clemson fans have come back and said, what you're forgetting is we didn't have any roster space. Um, I'm going to put this as diplomatically as possible. There are ways to create roster space in college football. Now, it's dirty and no one wants to talk about it, but there are ways to make roster space in college football. And I'm going to leave it at that. Dabo Swinney has chosen not to go down that road, and I've had all the respect in the world for it. Like I've said, I'm not going to sit here and pound my fist on the table and say, Dabo's wrong. He's an idiot. I don't do any of that. Uh, his, his way has worked. All right. 
will his way continue to work has been the question I've had, and I've had some doubts about it. So anyway, now that Clemson's lost a couple of games, uh, Dabo was, I believe, on his coach's show, Jesse. This is from his coach's show. Yeah, he was on his radio show on Tuesday. And he said, quote, we're at a point where if you don't go undefeated, you are losers. You're terrible. And that is such a terrible mindset. Honestly, maybe we need to lose a few games and lighten up the bandwagon. Sometimes the bandwagon can get a little too full. Now, as you can imagine, people who already don't like Dabo Swinney zeroed in on this and said, there he goes. It's Paul Simon just slip sliding away, fading into the abyss. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. No one, no one thinks like that. No one thinks if you go undefeated or if you don't go undefeated, you're a loser. The fringe 2% think that, and we call them fringe 2% for a reason. So outside of that, all right, there is a general truth to what he's saying. And the general truth is Dabo Swinney's suffering from the consequences of his own success. We use the phrase consequence of success on the show all the time because there's this very, very flawed logic out there that once you start winning, things get a lot easier. Once you get up to cruising altitude, things get a lot easier. That's not true. It's never been true. Nick Saban proved that it wasn't true. Kirby's proven it's not true. Dabo's proven it's not true. When you win, some things get easier, but then they are offset by a whole new basket of problems and challenges you have that only present themselves once you win. No one ever complained about going 10 and 2 at Clemson before, but now they do. Well, why is that? Because you won a couple of championships. That's why. And all of a sudden, you set a new standard. They didn't. You set a new standard, and you ought to be commended for it. But you also, you got to understand now, yeah, there's going to be some heat. Would you rather revert back to the old way? That's where he does not mean what he just said. He doesn't need to lose a few games. There's no way. I understand he's speaking out of emotion. I get all. You don't need to tell me that. And I do also understand he's in the foxhole. He's in the fight. The people who criticize him are not. And it, there is a certain level of that that even if people happen to be making the right points, you know there's no possible way they have all the information at their disposal needed to understand the full context of the situation. Again, I, I side with coaches a vast majority of the time on this stuff. Here's what I'm going to say. Quit listening. Just stop listening to people who criticize you. You cannot be this thin-skinned this deep into your career. You just can't. If they criticize you, they criticize you. Like, your check's going to cash every two weeks. You'll be fine. No one's sneaking in the facility at night and taking away those trophies. You're going to be fine. But the question to me is, is there going to be any change? Like, does Dabo Swinney think philosophically any change is needed? And this is where I've had a pretty strong opinion. I think the answer is no. And every bit of his action since the season started, and every time he opens his mouth and he starts to talk about it, everything he says kind of reinforces my point. He doesn't see it the way you do. He doesn't see it the way I do. I don't think he looks and says there's a whole lot of change needed around here because I believe Dabo Swinney thinks the way he's done it is still the way that works. They, they just may be slightly dipping right now, but they'll get back there. And you know what? Maybe he's right. But maybe he's wrong. And I think there's also a pride element here that, that may have blinded him a little bit. And no one's immune to that. Like, you, you can talk, and I can sit here and tell you all I want to. Oh, Dabo's got an edge on me talking about X's and O's. Oh, Dabo knows how to build an organization a lot better than me. And he does, and he does. 
But that doesn't make him immune to this stuff. It doesn't make him immune to pride getting in the way. And once you start getting criticized by outsiders, sometimes you can get rooted in your way of thinking. And then there can be all kinds of counter information and counter logic that flies in the face of it. But at that point, you're too prideful to come off your stance. I think he's too prideful to come off his stance on things like the portal. And it's going to cost him. It's going to continue to cost him. I respect the value system. I respect the principles he's built that program on. I'm just telling you, it would be very, very misguided to think the formula to win in this sport is always written in pen. It's not. It's written in pencil, and it's ever-changing. And the fact of the matter is, the right way or the most effective way to do things in 2015 may not be the most effective way to do things in 2025. And there's no might to that. I'm absolutely telling you the truth. I'm absolutely telling you your biggest rival in the ACC right now just put their team together in a manner that couldn't have been done in 2015. And they just came into your house a few weeks ago and beat you. What's your response going to be? Because they're not going to stop, nor is the rest of the sport. They're not going to stop using that transfer portal. If you're not going to use it, more power to you. It's to be a solid program. It'd take a long time to fully unravel what Clemson's built there. But they're not going to be a championship contender anymore doing it that way. I just I don't believe that you can voluntarily handcuff one hand behind your back in in terms of ignoring a talent acquisition apparatus that is available to you and watch your opponents use it and you still keep up with them. It's unrealistic. It's not going to happen. So the Dabo comments, don't, they don't surprise me. They don't surprise me because I think he's really dug in on this and I don't think much is going to change. That's where we are. Uh, I did want to hit on this. We're going to get back to game predictions in a second. <clears throat> the Brock Bowers stuff, a lot of you asked me about this. And so I'll talk to you about it for just a second. So if you missed it, uh, Colin, here's your endpoint, a better endpoint for you. If you missed it, Brock Bowers is going to be out for a while for Georgia. Having the tightrope surgery on the ankle, and we, we don't know when he's going to be back maybe towards the end of the regular season, maybe not at all in the regular season. I would bet against the regular season personally. There are some folks out there who don't think he'll play college football again. So anyway, it, it's going to be very, very iffy if they get him back. Well, the question is, what's Georgia going to look like without him? They would have lost the Auburn game without him. I'll tell you that. That doesn't tell me anything moving forward, but they got Florida coming up in two weeks. And they've still got to play. Who they still got to play? Colin. I know they got Georgia Tech at the end of the year. They still got to play at Tennessee later. They got Ole Miss coming to town. They got Missouri. They've got, they got, I'm telling you, they got four teams right now that are top 25 caliber teams lined up in a row. I think Florida at this point is a top 25 caliber team. And you lost your best football player. You may have lost the country's best football player. So it's a very young team. They've been beat up all year. They just hadn't lost the star power, the likes of Brock Bowers. Boy, Carson Beck's about to have to shine. That defense is about to have to shine. It's a very imperfect team, but imperfection at Georgia is kind of a first-world problem because it's still a really good team. They're going to have to play complimentary. There is not a superstar that you can look at to just take things over here. Um, they are loaded in their tight end room. Raw talent in their tight end room is not a problem. The complete package that Brock Bowers gives you, you do not have with Oscar Delp. You don't have that with Lawson Lucky. And those two... Even Lucky, even the freshman, would start at 95% of programs in college football right now. They're that good. But I think anyone who has watched Brock Bowers understands you don't have another one of those in the tight end room. 
I said the same thing after the Auburn game. I'll say again, you got to look around that receiver's room and you got to get someone to step up, man. Like I'm watching Bowers have to take over that Auburn game because no one else does. You got to look around that running back room. You got to have folks step up. You got to put on film of what Georgia football has looked like in their vintage moments when they've won titles the past two years. And and you got to show them dudes like this. We still got the talent here. You just got to step up and play like that. That offensive line, uh, you're trying to get Amarius Mims back right now. Maybe you get him back for the Florida game. I, look, I know that from a fan's perspective, whether you're a Georgia fan or not, this kind of, it just sucks because you hate to see the best players go down. You hate to see any player go down. But you hate to see the best players go down because you're always left wondering in your mind what would have happened if. Georgia fans hate to hear Bama fans say, what would have happened if Jamison Williams was healthy for the national title game in 2021? It's a valid, it's a valid thought. It's irrelevant because injuries are a part of the game. But that's my whole point. I would rather there not be major injuries and we just see the games play out perfectly clean. Everyone's healthy. I also believe in unicorns. And so two weeks, less than two weeks now, Jacksonville, Florida, you got Florida versus Georgia. And then they got two or three more opponents, Ole Miss, Missouri, Tennessee. They got two or three more. Um, They can lose every one of those games. Every one of those games is losable. Make no mistake about it. They'll be favored in every one of them. But there is, there is no one in that four-game stretch that's not capable of biting Georgia because if the Auburn Tigers take them to the wire, I can promise you on their best days, those teams can take them to the wire, especially if Georgia is B-minus or less on that particular Saturday. And then the question, and I don't know the answer to it, is will you get them back? Now, that's an elite, phenomenal athlete. They heal differently. They've, they've got different equipment at Georgia. I without sharing state secrets, because I am from that state. I was up there last year. I've, I've toured Georgia's medical facility. I've seen what they have in there. And I'm not saying that they're two or three steps ahead of NASA. I do think they're at least one step ahead of NASA. Some stuff, the likes of which you wouldn't believe. Unbelievable. I wanted to play around with it, but I, for some reason, there was not time for that on my tour that day. Texas is pretty out of this world, too. Fascinating stuff. I can't even, you got seven or eight syllable words for what those machines are called. Um, Brock Bowers, I'm going to have to utilize every bit of it. All right, let's get back to predicting games. There's a, there's a game in front of me right now, and this one has major consequence. Look at the page, it's just dripping off the page. Clemson at Miami, Saturday. Eight o'clock. This thing's on ACC Network, and the reason is because there are four combined losses here. And I have it on good authority. Someone's got to lose their third game Saturday night. Believe it or not, and it's going to take a stretch for you to believe this, but believe it or not, I think both teams are in a good spot in this particular game. Clemson's in a good spot because they've done nothing but win since the Florida State game, and they're off a bye. Dabo said they're as healthy as he thinks they've been all year. So there's that. Miami is what we would call double do up. In other words, we don't believe that you just keep having turnover misfortune forever. Eventually, there comes a game where you get it right. Or maybe you're even, imagine this, plus one or plus two in turnovers. And your outcome radically shifts based on that. Well, the, the logic for a long time that's been pretty sound is the more bad turnover games you stack on top of each other, percentage-wise, the more likely you are to springboard into a good one eventually. And we're going to say eventually is this week. So I, I, I think wounded animal mode, to say the least, 
is what you find Miami in right now. But now comes the very, very unfortunate task I have of informing you that Miami has not won an ACC home game under Mario Cristobal. Paper pop stat number one. Um, Paper pop stat number two. Miami's last home win against Clemson was 1956. That was the year Morocco gained independence. That was the year the Philadelphia Warriors beat the Fort Wayne Pistons for the NBA title. And that was the year, and whom could forget this one, that was the year whipper Billy Watson beat Luthez for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Great match. Luthez press was probably broken out at some point. So it's been a while, in the words of Stain in the early 2000s. But what does all that mean? Well, it just means that Clemson's 113th in explosive plays, and if you can limit that and not turn the ball over, you got a good shot to win the game. That's, that's what all those stats mean. Mimo always told me, stats are good at predicting the past. Predict the future, Joshua. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Live in the windshield. So let's live in the windshield. 103rd in turnover margin. That's Miami this year. Terrible. They've been giving the ball away. You want a ball, here's a ball. You want a ball, there's a ball. They are 124th. In penalties this year, very undisciplined team. Now, I would say that that's a death sentence, but Bama's right down there, and they're still in the thick of the national championship conversation. So it's not the death sentence that it seems like. But I just wonder, can you give me a clean game? Can you play mistake, not not mistake-free, but can you limit them? Can you force them? Maybe you force Clemson to make some mistakes. You've got the number one offense in the ACC versus the number one defense in the ACC in terms of yards per game. I know everybody who watched that North Carolina offense the other night would tell you, I'll, I'll take that offense over anyone. Yeah, I would too. I'm speaking strictly in terms of yards per game, and the advanced crowd always loves when I talk yards per game. It's about to be really bad for the loser here. Really bad. Think it through with me for a second. If Miami loses this, third straight loss, Third straight conference loss. Still haven't beaten Clemson at home since 1956. Still don't have a home conference win under Mario. And it, it'd be really bad really quickly. It already is. They, they need to salvage a season down there. If Clemson loses, that's a third conference loss for them too. And we're still a couple of weeks away from Halloween. What are we saying about Clemson? I know what I'd be saying. What are you saying about Clemson? What, are they, what is Dabo Swinney saying about his own program at that point? Uh, my advice... If anyone up there in Clemson is listening, is don't let this game come down to a field goal. Four of ten this year. Yeah, I don't think I need to tell you that because you remember how those games have, have come out in the past. Um, we've got a situation here. We've got a wrong team favorite situation. You remember how this turned out the last time we said that. Um, chaos Monday through Friday, and then we look like geniuses on Saturday. So, Colin, let's see what the model thinks. The Vegas number right now is Clemson minus four. We think the wrong team's favored. We think Miami minus one is the right number. It's just been horrifically skewed because of very poor turnover luck the past two weeks. Not luck. It's undisciplined, like they've given the ball away. We're going to roll some dice here. We're going to say the turnover monster does not completely devour Miami like an unstoppable rebel force this week. I hope I've been vivid enough. And we're going to not only take Miami to cover, we're going to take them to win the game outright. Now, either way... It's going to be a topic on the Sunday show because either way, it's just going to be grossly toxic around the losing program here. That's the beauty and terror of college football. So you may think I'm crazy riding with Miami. That's okay. That's okay. I 
What I don't want to do is be on them one week, got the bad turnover luck. So then I'm off of them the next week and then the turnover thing flips and then they win. And all of a sudden you're like, why can't I get a read on Miami? I think I know the quality of team they have. They have to play that quality of game. That's what I'm saying. (sighs) Let's take a brief detour again from talking about, you know, real football games to talk about another coach with the antenna just a little bit too high, with the volume turned up just a little bit too much. We have time for a sip, Jesse? Yeah, we got time for a sip. Why do I have to do this? <clears throat> I should not have, it, this should not fall on me, but it does. <sighs> Harley hit me up and said, why haven't you talked about Shane Beamer whining so much after losing to Tennessee? And now he's laughing about breaking his foot. Both of these things happen. I regret to inform you. Uh, there, there was a tinge of whininess from Shane after losing the Tennessee game. Now, he has since addressed that. So I'm not talking about anything he hasn't talked about. And yes, he did confirm today that he kicked something he shouldn't have in his words and broke his foot. But you don't need to take my word for it. I have had Director Colin cleverly splice these two things together. First, the whining. Then the admission of the foot breakage. Roll it, Colin. I saw the main problem, David. We call pressures and we don't run them. Uh, we play man coverage and, and uh, didn't do a great job of, of keeping leverage. I mean, just in the first half alone, we, we ran a pressure where the corner came and for some reason he stopped and we gave up an explosive pass because we didn't continue to run the pressure. After the game, I broke my foot um, on Saturday. Uh, so I'd rather just get it out there and say it and not have you all speculating. And then after the game on Saturday in Missouri, you ask, I called Coach Tanner, told him, make sure he was okay with it, and he died laughing when I told him. So obviously there's not a lot of empathy from him. Um, <laughs> it was uh, uh, after the game, and certainly that was a gut-wrenching emotional loss, and, and uh, I was frustrated and kicked something that I shouldn't have kicked and, and uh, thought I was okay, but journaling of the game wore off. And before anybody starts the narrative, like the head football coach is – frustrated and lost his poise and all that. No, I care. And um, uh, I care about these kids. And I was really upset on Saturday night because I didn't do enough to help them uh, get over the hump and win the football game. So don't think I have to have surgery, but there is a broken bone in my foot. It hurts like you know what, but, you know, I've got to show toughness and fight through it. Yeah, uh, the talk is he seems a little bit too chipper for a guy who just lost a football game. Our coach seems like a clown right now. This is what I have been inundated with in the inbox. Truthfully, I wasn't going to address this tonight, but Harley was not the only one who asked about this. So here's what the Les Miles era taught me. And Meemaw had already taught me this. The Les Miles era reinforced that if you got unique personality traits, the same personality traits that get you praised when you win get you roasted when you lose. So nothing changes about your personality. It's just your idiosyncrasies either get you propped up or get you beat down. It's all dictated on outcome on the field. It's never been about anything other than that. You can be the greatest guy in the world. If you lose, they're canning you. You can be a complete jerk. If you win, they're building statues of you. So your personality really doesn't matter. (sighs) Here's what does matter. I don't care. Why haven't I commented? Because I don't care. I don't care if he whines in post-game press conferences. I know what it's born out of. He's very passionate about his program. The difference 
in the way, in an ideal world that I would have Shane Beamer run his program versus the way he does is I just think he cares what people say about him too much. And I know folks like that. I, I am very blessed to not think that way. I don't care. I, I, I have fun with it. But otherwise, I don't care about it. Make what other people think about you none of your business. It is golden advice I got a long time ago. Fortunately, I've applied it. I don't care. Say whatever you want to say. Leave Jesse and Colin out of it. You can trash Bradley, but say whatever you want to say about me. Um, that's how I wish Shane Beamer would go about it. It's very obvious he hears a lot of stuff that's said about him. And I know it gets under your skin. Same thing I said about Dabo. Some of the fools talking trash about you could not talk themselves intellectually out of a wet paper bag when it comes to football. You'd run circles around them. You know it. They don't know it because they're idiots. Um, but in some cases, maybe there's accurate criticism they're levying against you, whether it's right or wrong. If you care that much what fans think, you will end up sitting with them. It is an age-old adage for a reason. It's true. You got to tune it out. You just got to tune it out. Now, as for the broken foot, prayers up. Um, I don't necessarily know what to say about this. He did seem a little happy about it. There was, there was a little smile on the face. I don't know. I don't know. I know what a lot of you think about it because I'm looking at my phone. Uh, even as I'm doing this, I'm looking at my phone and I'm, I got, <laughs> I got a, I got a head coach texting me about this right now. I am not sharing the identity, nor am I sharing the body of the text, but it was, it was not exactly pro Gamecock. Let me just put it that way. And it wasn't Dabo. Uh, they are way better to me than they were before he got there. That's what I care about. This year's not going to be good in the record column and the win-loss column. It's not going to be good. Progress isn't always linear. So he said that the other day. We're way better than we were before I got here. He did. He, I'm paraphrasing. He said a version of that. I think he's right. That's what I care about. Don't care about what he sounds like post-game. I would prefer he not break his foot. But even having said that, guys have coached under more stringent Physical ailments before Hugh Freeze once coached from a hospital bed uh, up, in, up in the press box. Thumbs up to go for it. Thumbs down not to go for it. Shane Beamer, I don't know if he's using the handicap parking up there, but I guarantee you he'll still be on the sidelines on Saturday. So speedy recovery, but all seriousness, they're, they're okay. They're not going to have a good record this year. Like I said, the dips, like the ebbs and flows in football are eternal. Every program has them. It's just that when you're at a top five program, when, when, you get, when you really get the engine revved, there's a pretty high floor. Like you can be so insanely talented. Kirby's got Georgia right now at a place where even in their down year, it would be nine and three. That is not South Carolina right now. So if they have a down year, which they're having, they could miss a bowl game. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It does if you do it three years in a row, but I don't think that's the case there. I also think press conferences aren't football, yet we spend a vast majority of our time talking about what coaches say. This is why, at its core, I don't get jacked up about SEC Media Days. I have never done a Biggest Winners and Losers of Media Days segment. There are no winners and losers. I would argue there are losers, but it's, it's mainly the... Nope, I'm not saying that, because some of those folks are my friends, and I'm not going to say that. But... By and large, I don't care what's said at press conferences. I just, I don't. Maybe it's a fatal flaw of mine, but I really don't.
They're watching us in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yankton, South Dakota is tuned in. Good people in Yankton. They're watching us in Seattle, Washington. There's a city in Japan I won't even try to pronounce, but they're watching us there as well. We got a big game out west. I've also got the JP poll coming up momentarily and best bets. We got a big game in the Coliseum Saturday, Utah at USC. This is an eight o'clock Eastern time kick on Fox. Total desperation spot for USC. Total desperation. Now, on one hand, got two hands here. On one hand, they're still undefeated in conference play. On the other hand, they have several tough conference games coming up and they just got housed by Notre Dame. So you would think this is a bounce back spot. History would indicate that. Minus five turnovers last week. They had another two turnovers on downs. They're back home in wounded animal mode. You know how much we love that spot. It's a revenge moment because they lost to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game last year. We'll know early what kind of game this is going to be. We'll know early because the first quarter is all important in this game. USC can play catch up. I don't know that Utah can. And so if, if USC jumps out to an early lead like they did in the Pac-12 title game, but Caleb Williams stays healthy, I don't think Utah's coming back. They don't have Cam Rising. I know because he's in this other room right now. It is producer Jesse. They're one and the same. And producer Jesse does not look like he's ready to start for Utah Saturday. So if you get out to an early lead, think USC is going to have a good night. And it's not the end of the world if they don't get out to an early lead. But the problem is USC's 88th in run defense. If they don't start scoring early and force Utah to throw the ball to stay in the game, all of a sudden you look down and you say, what is that I feel on my ankles? What is that on my shins? What is that on my knees? It's quicksand. And you've stepped into it again against Utah. So don't let it happen to yourself. Don't let yourself do that. Get out to an early lead. This is my advice. If Lincoln, if Lincoln Riley has not thought of this already, scoring early. Try it. Try it. It works. Try it. Utah's ninth in turnover margin, USC 75th. Notice how that little stat changed in a hurry. USC was running away with turnover margin last year. Like they were plus double digits by this time, I think. Not this year. And as I said in the preseason, this team could stay the exact same if you just flip turnover margin. Everything changes. It could be the difference in three or four games. Well, you see what it looks like. All of a sudden, you're, you're minus five in turnovers against Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't even have to have 300 yards offense against you to hang nearly half a hundred. I believe Caleb Williams will bounce back in this game. I truly believe that, but I also believe it takes more than Caleb Williams. USC's offensive line has been bad. They have gotten him assaulted. They have given up 10 sacks the last two games. Utah is top 10 in sacks this year. They cannot all. Just rely on Caleb Williams. It can't be like Bama a couple of years ago. Remember when they had Bryce Young and it seemed like that whole team just looked to Bryce Young to make a play? Feels like what USC does right now. Just look to Caleb Williams to bail me out. No, man, you got a scholarship to play at Southern Cal because you're pretty good too. Why don't you shoulder a little bit of the weight? I'm talking to the offensive line. Well, give him a couple of seconds. Just watch what happens. Run the ball plus turnovers plus defense. If you allow Utah to do that against you, quicksand. It's not going to be a pretty outcome for you. Utah needs to find big plays, though. They're 129th in explosive plays. USC is 125th in explosive plays allowed. So if it's going to happen, maybe it happens here for Utah. Let's look at what the model thinks, Colin. USC's minus six and a half on the Vegas board right now. And the model is dead on the money with Vegas. USC minus six and a half. I've got no confidence whatsoever here. I could see either style of game. I could literally see 38-17 USC, or I could see 21-20 Utah. Have no feel for the game. 
I am going to ride with USC to win. I, on principle, I'm going to take Utah to cover just because if I'm, if I'm that close in my mind, I expect a one possession game. But really, there's so much variation in outcomes. If we played this 20 times, it would be stunning to see how wide the gap is in the most extreme score, one side versus the other side. I'm going to take USC. They have the third best odds to win the Pac-12 right now. Utah's got the fifth best odds. Let's just see what happens. Next up, it's that time. Put the women and children to bed. Got the new JP poll in my hand here. Immunity. Um, JP poll time is once again upon us. Not a ranking system. I don't know why. I just shout into the wind and explain this, but I will once more. This is just favorability on a neutral field. Has nothing to do with rankings. There's no merit involved here. It's just future facing. So we're not looking in the review mirror. We just care, care about what would happen moving forward. And power ratings are what they are. Let's take a look at 25 through 21. Guess who's back? Florida's back. The Florida Gators are rated again. Welcome back, guys. They've got Georgia next. The University of Arizona is number 24. I cannot believe I just said that sentence. The University of Arizona under Jed Fish is power rated in the JP poll. First time, I believe, ever. And no one thought this would happen this year. They've got Oregon State, UCLA, Colorado, Utah, and Arizona State left. Let's see what happens. Congrats already. I know the season's not over. They haven't accomplished anything they have on this show. TCU inexplicably is still in the top 25. I don't know what the model sees. I have no idea. I would absolutely pick Duke over TCU today. So this is sort of a me versus the model thing. But I am not a tamperer. I, I am not going to tamper with this. TCU's at 23rd. Utah, 22. Miami didn't really drop because your, your minus turnover performance is terrible, but it's just it's not going to drop you a whole lot. The model thinks there's a lot of randomness in turnovers, which there are. We go top 20. Uh, f- who's 20, Colin? Yeah, uh, Ole Miss is 20. So Ole Miss, UCLA, USC are sort of in the same spots they were last week. USC didn't drop a whole lot because they were essentially minus seven in turnovers, and we didn't think highly of USC to begin with. So where everyone else plummeted USC, we kind of already had them. So we, we feel pretty justified. Clemson's still 17. Uh, A&M, I know you're going to struggle with that. They're 16th, even though they have three losses. It is about what point spreads would be tomorrow. A&M's losses are to the number six team, number 14 team, and number 21 team. Uh, two of those have been by one possession. It's just, they're not a terrible team. And talent is baked into this. And uh, an ultra-talented team that's had a couple of close losses to top 25 competitions is not going to plummet out of this thing. It's not the AP. This is not what this is. Uh, What else is notable there? Not really anything. Let's move on, Colin. Top 15, Oregon State unchanged. Tennessee pretty much the same as they were last week. Notre Dame as well. Now, the model is still really high on LSU. It is, it, it's the reason I keep talking about LSU the way I do. The model keeps screaming, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Played probably their best game of the year against Auburn. They got Army this week, and then I think a bye, and then they play Alabama. Let's, um, let's see what happens. North Carolina's 11. We already had North Carolina really high, so there was no reason to change them. They, they won big, but it was a lot of plus turnover, so model takes that into account. Top 10 time. I thought it was really interesting that Bill Connolly put his full numbers out this morning. 
because it helped to reinforce something I've been saying. So people see us put FSU at number 10, and they think it's some anti-FSU bias sort of thing. Like, I, I don't care one way or the other. I would much prefer FSU to win because it's good for the show, if you want my honest thoughts. My whole point in pointing out Connolly's ratings this morning is he has a number 11. It's not just an outlier, rogue model opinion that FSU is not a top five team power rating wise. If I were an AP voter, I'd have them up there. I would absolutely rank FSU above Alabama. Power ratings wise, the model would favor Alabama if they played them tomorrow. That's all that's about. Penn State is nine. Oklahoma is at eight. Washington, uh, Washington bumped up one point, but because of fluctuation around them, they stayed at number seven. Bama's at number six. Not a lot changed 10 through six last week. Top five. And let's once again address something. Oregon, I think, dropped a spot. Uh, we drew, I, so Oregon and Washington both increased their power rating. Uh, Oregon increased a quarter of a point. Washington increased a full point. So both of them went up from last week. Oregon is still ahead of Washington. You know what I'm saying. You know what that means. Neutral field model would slightly lean Oregon tomorrow. Not by much, like, like fractions, not by much. Texas is still ahead of Oklahoma. Let me go back to Conley. Not that either of these is the end-all be-all, but I mean, Bill Conley is as respected as it gets in this profession at doing the whole math and numbers and power ratings thing. He's got Texas above Oklahoma. Doesn't mean you negate the result a couple of weeks ago, nor does it mean Texas will beat them if they play in the Big 12 championship game. It just means if they played the game today, Texas would be favored. And some people kind of gear their models towards that. So Michigan's number one is, is the big takeaway here. New number one. It's the first time Michigan's been number one. Not only that, there is a one and a half point gap between Michigan and the field. And just out of curiosity, I went back to last year around this time, and I always love to look at the 10-point gap. So if I subtract 10 points off of the number one team, how far do I have to go down before I find a team they'd be favored by 10 points over? You got to go all the way down to number 14 right now. The 10-point gap gets us all the way from Michigan to Tennessee. Last year, it was like the top six teams, and that was it. So there was a very, very clear tier one, and then there was a huge drop-off. We don't necessarily have that right now, which means... October's already been crazy, about to be insane when a bunch of these teams play each other. November's going to be out of this world. Insane. Uh, like I said, Oregon gained a quarter point. I think I said half point. A quarter point, And Washington gained a full point. 1.5 point gap between Michigan and Georgia right now. So Michigan minus one and a half against Georgia if they played neutral field according to the model. Let's talk about best bets and let's wrap this up. We're already on two. We already on, got on two the other night. Sam Houston State minus four and a half, and we're on Wake Forest at a pick. Let's add two more. Wisconsin, we're jumping on the Badgers minus two and a half, and we are also adding Miami. Told you we think the wrong team's favored in that game. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. That's the best bet. Miami plus four at home against Clemson. Miami, Wisconsin, Wake Forest, Sam Houston State. Okay, I got to go to bed because I have a flight in 11 hours to New York. And we're going to be on Inside College Football tomorrow night. CBS Sports Network got pre, post, and uh, halftime duties in the Sam Houston State FIU game over there on CBS Sports Network. So looking forward to that. We'll be back here Thursday night 
So our schedule is unchanged. It's just I'm extremely busy. And then we'll jet off to Columbus, Ohio on Friday. Just your standard week. Just your typical week. Appreciate you guys for making it all possible. For Director Colin, Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening. And God bless.